0: Our reading this morning is taken from Genesis, chapter 4, beginning to read at verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, Seventy-seven times. Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son, and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Why does a good God allow the innocent to suffer? Why does evil seem to prosper? The death camps of Auschwitz and Belsen. The war in Ukraine, the innocent suffering in Israel and Gaza... Why doesn't God just wipe some people off the face of this earth in order to save others from a whole load of suffering? We keep hearing of Putin being sick. Why doesn't God just finish him off? I mean, I would if I was God. And this is the kind of question that Genesis 4 looks at. I've got to look at the whole chapter in order to make sense of the few verses that we have had read. And it's a bit of a shock to discover that the first baby To be born into a world, into our world, was a murderer. The first victim was his brother. And that doesn't seem to bode well for humankind, does it? In fact, it cuts right across the modern humanist theory that human beings are innately good. All we have to do is put children in the right environment with the right amount of stimulation, the right encouragements. Because here we see Cain and Abel both have the same parents, same background, same household, and yet one was killed and the other was a killer. Why? Well, their spiritual fathers were different. So St. John writes in his first letter, 1 John chapter 3, Cain belonged to to the evil one. So here um, we have an account of Cain and Abel. It's really a story of a cosmic battle between goods and evil. Satan and the church. And it doesn't make for pleasant reading. But we need to get a grip of it if we're going to understand how to live as a Christian in God's fallen world. And Genesis 3, chapter uh, verse 15, brings out this cosmic battle. It talks about the seed of the serpent against the seed of the woman. And it seems that Cain has gone with the serpent. And the first thing you will notice about Cain is that he is a man with religion. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And there's a bit of wordplay there in the Hebrew. To capture it in the English, you could say, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and her gain was Cain. But the thing that is striking about him is not that he was a farmer, but that he's a worshipper. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and his brother followed suit offering the firstborn of his flock made sense he was a shepherd and the interesting thing is though that Cain made that offering before Abel did he wasn't looking over his shoulder and copying his younger brother unsolicited he took the initiative to do what was later commanded of the Israelites to offer the first fruits to God so for all intents and purposes Cain is very, very religious. And he makes his offering to Yahweh. And God's response, we see it in verse 4. And the important thing here is to notice the order of God's judgment. Because this is not about animal sacrifice being more important than crops. Both are acceptable to God in the Old Testament. The order is significant. God pronounces his favor or disfavor on the person. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his sacrifice, but on Cain and his sacrifice, he did not look with favour. In other words, God is more concerned with the condition of the worshipper than the worship offering. What's going on in the heart than what is being presented at the altar? And we see the state of Cain's heart by his reaction. So Cain was very angry. Cain was burned up. He thinks God should have accepted his worship. It's the sin of Eden all over again. Cain thinks he can call the shots that God should dance to his tune. Not all worship is acceptable to God. Although we might think that it should be. And as Christians, this is something we sometimes fail to understand. The fact that we might enjoy certain rituals or certain songs doesn't mean that God does. Especially if they're not accompanied with the right attitude. Modern songs, traditional hymns, chants, doesn't really matter actually. Do we believe they bring glory to God or is it that it satisfies our personal taste? Highbrow, lowbrow. In other words, is it God or ourselves who is at the centre of our thoughts? So King David said, A humble and a contrite heart you will not despise. Is that the heart, is that the spirit that we have? If not, then we could be walking in in Cain's footsteps. So here we have the warning. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And that tells us something very important about the nature of sin. We generally think of sin as something we choose to do or not do. So we have sins of commission and sins of omission. But the picture here is more like sin is more of a wild animal, ready to pounce. It's a power which is ever-present. And what we're called to do is to master it, to control it. We're not to feed it or play with it, but to bring it under some sort of regulation, to put it under control, to put it on a leash. So temptation is not a sin. To have thoughts which come into our mind is not a sin. Where it becomes a sin is when we say yes to it. I like this. I'm going to go with this. So I'm not always responsible for my temptations. Sometimes I am. But I am responsible for what I do with them, as was Cain. So what did he do? Well, he becomes a man with a grudge. Verse 8, Cain says to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they're out in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The very place where this religious man collected his offerings of worship was the very place he murdered his brother. You can be religious and at the same time thoroughly godless. Abel had done Cain no harm, he just did what was right and got killed for it. And Christians around the world are still persecuted for doing nothing wrong, just serving God. Jesus. And when God confronts Cain with his despicable deed, he acts like a surly teenager. Whatever. Then the Lord says to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he says. Am I my brother's keeper? He's just butchered his own brother and he shrugs it off as nothing. But it is not nothing to God. Verse 10. What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse from the ground. And so there's Cain, a man with a curse. The cries of those suffering injustice, they are heard in heaven. Putin, Hamas, Israel, they will do well to understand that. Their call for justice does not go unheeded. Even if the world does not care, there is one who does, God. Cain suffered in the first instance insecurity. He is a farmer and his yields are not going to come easily. Maybe there's some poetic justice here. Not only is the ground into which his brother's blood seeped, it's the ground from which he had the gall to offer produce in worship. But then there's the instability. He's going to be rootless. He's going to be a wanderer, moving further and further east, away from Eden. And as we move away from Eden in, in Genesis, so it means it's further alienated from God. Sin has its consequences. Some of which we'll see as we, as we look in the next few moments. It lasts for generations and to the children and to the ch- grandchildren. In Cain's response, is so typical. My punishment is more than I can bear. Today, you are driving me from the land. I will be hidden from your presence. Uh, By the way, that's what hell is away from God's presence. I will be restless. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Not a word of remorse over what he's done to his brother. Not a hint of repentance. God, please forgive me and help me. It's all about him, his loss, his burden, his ruined life. Regret and remorse are not the same thing. And then we come to the rest of the chapter which really does highlight the problem of evil. Cain, a man with a family. The Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain lay with his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad. Erad was the father of Meherel. Meherel was the father of Methusel. And Methusel was the father of Lamech. And that should stop us dead in our tracks as we ask, what kind of God is this? Cain has just wiped out his one and only brother with no thought of how this will break mom and dad's heart, no consideration for God's commands. And this is, this is the response made in in God's image and and to kill Abel. And what does God do? He protects him. Not only that, he blesses him with a wife and children. And if that's not enough, he and his descendants seem to prosper. And that's what verses 17 to 24 are all about. Cain builds a city. He puts down roots. He's no longer a wanderer. There's the development of agriculture, verse 20, of music, verse 21, For the want of a better word, there's the development of technology, verse 22, bronze and iron tools. In short, we have the rise of culture, things which are good within themselves. They fulfill part of God's original command, chapter 1, verse 28, to subdue the earth, to bring it under control. But evil continues to be passed on and on from generation to generation, so we get to Lamech. Cain's great great grandson and you have a degeneration into polygamy and sheer viciousness which is boastful he even writes a song to trumpet his barbarianism and impress his wives verse 23 Lamech says to his wives Aydar and Zillah listen to me wives of Lamech hear my words I have killed a man for wounding me a young man for injuring me if Cain is avenged seven times then Lamech 77 times No eye for eye for Lamech. You just slightly bruise him and he's going to skewer you. That's the idea here. The development of culture and technology does not signal a corresponding development in morality and civility. But we tend to think it does, don't we? If we can just educate people or change people's living conditions, improve the political structure, then the hoped-for harmony will will come about. Genesis 4 says no. And so does history. So the writer and speaker, Don Carson, one of the significances of the Holocaust, this is what he wrote, one of the significance of the Holocaust was that it was done by Germans. Not because Germans are worse, but because before the Holocaust, just about everybody in the Western world thought of them as the best They had the best universities, the best technology, were producing some of the best scholarship in the world and were leading the flock in so many ways, which is another way of saying that the nation at the philosophical peak of Western Enlightenment values led us into genocide. And as we look at the modern technological advances of today, we can only shudder to think of what brave new world we're busy making. So there's actually a more difficult question. It's not why do bad things happen to good people, but why do good things happen to bad people? That's the real problem of evil this passage forces us to grapple with. And the only answer that we have is thankfully God is a God of grace. And mercy. God bears with evil and wicked men so that his good saving purposes can be fulfilled. For if he was to act swiftly in judgment, then to be fair, he would have to judge us all and we would all be lost. So the human race keeps on going. The tares are mixed in with the wheat and they grow together. And why? So in time, to give time for people to turn back to him. For the gospel to go out. Until the time comes for final judgment. And final rescue. So we now live in a time of grace. And we better make use of it. And so we come to a God with a plan. So in these weeks leading up to Advent and then into Advent itself, we're looking at miracle babies. And Seth is one of those miracle babies. God has not given up on us. Because in addition to the seed of evil, the serpent seed, there is the seed of the woman. Verse 25, Adam lay with his wife again and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son and named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. And the implication is that from Seth and Enosh comes a people who engage in public worship of the Lord. In fact, to call upon the name of the Lord... It's got overtones, haven't it, of seeking salvation. So we've got it in the New Testament. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so on the one hand, you've got this thriving, impressive culture with its cities, art, technology, as well as its violence and immorality. And on the other, you've got this small worshipping community which by comparison may not seem all that impressive all that powerful all that influential but which nonetheless knows God and God knows them. Just take a look around you. Take a look around at the people here this morning. We may not seem all that important Hardly movers and shakers by the world's standards. I mean, none of you were called up this week, were you, for the cabinet reshuffle, elevated to the House of Lords? No? I wasn't either. But we do belong to the only organisation which is going to go on forever. The Christian community. The church. Civilisations come and go. Fashions are constantly changing. Ideas are in today and gone tomorrow. People are born, they die. But if you are a Christian believer, even death won't stop you. It just means changing your address from an earthly one to a heavenly one. So isn't it all worth it? Isn't it obvious that we make God's kingdom a priority? Investing in something which is going to last. Because as recent events show, our savings aren't going to last. Our houses possibly aren't going to last. But our heavenly savings will. If that's the bank into which you're channeling your thoughts, prayers, relationships, time and money. God is being overwhelmingly generous to us. Still, as a church. Church of England in particular. It's being generous to us. As a nation, he's being generous to us. There is still time to come back to him. And the Church of England might have moved further away into the land of Nod. But there's still time to come back to him. And for some of us here this morning, this may mean surrendering our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time. Why not do that? What's stopping you? For some of us, it's a recognition that maybe our hearts have grown a little cold and our vision of Christian life a little dim and we need renewing. Maybe we've become religious. It's all about us. For some of us, it may mean being thankful yet again for being reminded what a wonderful God it is that we serve. Now, just as I close, just turn with me to Luke chapter 3. The genealogy in in Luke chapter 3, it starts around about verse 23. When Jesus himself was about 30 years old, when his ministry began, he was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, who was the son of Heli, the son of Matat. And so it carries on and it carries on and it carries on. And you get through all these names and you get to Verse 38 the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Now, do you see God's plan? This is no accident. It might look that God is allowing evil to prosper, but ultimately, starting all the way back there with Seth, God's plan was for Jesus to defeat Satan at the cross. It might look like evil prospers, but ultimately it won't. Will we trust God? Will we worship God with our whole heart, no matter what goes on within our society around us, but keep our faith firm on him? Amen.